seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the Gospel according to John chapter 1 and we read for our text verse 14. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it is specifically the last part, full of grace and truth, that is upon my spirit. We have the words again uh, emphasised in verse 16, of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace and then in verse 17 for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ and yes in our text the word is our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ the word the eternal word the eternal Son of God was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In beginning this morning, I desire to look at five instances leading up to our text, including our text, of those things which are joined together. The Word of God often does this it joins things together we cannot separate them our lord with the parables he often put two things together a contrast if you like in those instances the parable of the publican and the pharisee in the temple not just one but them both there and he contrasts how they both pray the Pharisee only speaking of his good works. The publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Very often then the truth of God is set forth with two things that are joined together. And solemnly, when one only is taken, then it leads to error. We think of what the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted to give, repentance and remission of sins. Wherever there is forgiveness, there will be repentance. The two, they go together. And so it is in the passage here. We begin with two births. In verse 13, we have a spiritual birth which is set before us. A people, a people that are the sons of God and they are born, born again of the Spirit. In John uh, chapter 3, our Lord speaks to Nicodemus of the necessity of the new birth. He must be born again. And Nicodemus, he stumbled at it. He said, how can it be that a man go back again into the womb and be born again. The Lord was not speaking in a natural way, but a spiritual way. We all, when we are born, we are born in trespasses and sins. We are dead in sins, completely dead spiritually. We're alive naturally. We can see, we can hear naturally. We can partake of food naturally. We can speak one to another naturally. But spiritually we cannot perceive the things of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We are that dead. And that is the sentence of God upon our first parents, when they ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And immediately they died spiritually, their fellowship, friendship, union with God was broken, 
and in due time they were to die uh, physically and all the presence of sickness and death and sorrow in this world comes because of the sentence of God against our first parents' sin. We are under condemnation. We are sinners. That sentence has already been exacted out upon us. But we are given life. We are given time. We are given the times of our lives. And in that time, there is the gospel preached. There is a work that God does in countless millions in quickening them into spiritual life. And that is called the new birth. And that is what it is speaking of here in verse 13, which were born, not of blood. That is, it doesn't go through a bloodline, not like our royal family, that the, those that uh, end up being the kings or queens of this country, they are born to be a king or a queen. Uh, they, they are in that line and... So it is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. How much it is that we might think, well, we can make ourselves a Christian and we can make ourselves to be born again. No, we cannot. It is not the will of our flesh to do that. We do not have a will to do that by nature. Our nature is depart from us. We desire not the knowledge of thy ways. And nor is it of the will of man. Those of us that know the Lord, that love the Lord, we are very much like our children and our grandchildren to also be saved, to also know the Lord, to also be born again of the Spirit. But it is not by the will of man. We cannot make a Christian, however much we will it and desire it, we cannot do that. But God can. And so that is where we read in verse 13, but of God. There are those that are born of God and it is his will that they be quickened into spiritual life. Now I want to speak a little bit more of this later on, so I won't speak more on that yet, but at this point I want to do the joining together. So we have the birth, a spiritual birth of the people of God, bring them out of nature's darkness and into God's marvellous light, they are born again. And then we have the uh, second thing that is joined to it, which is our text. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ was born into this world. Our Lord became man and the coming into this world is inseparably joined with the new birth of his people. No Christ, no Emmanuel, no Saviour, no death, no precious blood shed at Calvary. There could be no birth, no spiritual birth, no spiritual life. Our Lord is very clear, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So we have the first thing, the two things joined together, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to this world and all that he did in this world and the spiritual life of the people of God. The Lord said, because I live, ye shall live also. Joining together, how vital it is that we realise that if we are quickened into life, your life, my life is bound up with the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished at Calvary. Two births, remember that, the birth of our Lord and the birth of his people, they are joined together here in verses 13 and 14. The second thing that is joined together and very closely aligned is the word made flesh and 
dwelt among us. You might say, well, surely there are those things that, that would happen. Well, John the Baptist, who is introduced here as setting forth our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the messenger that was foretold to go before him. When he was born, when he was growing up, he was in the deserts until his showing unto Israel. He did not dwell among his brethren at all. They didn't see him. We think of Moses. He did not dwell among his brethren before he led them uh, through the wilderness to the promised land. Firstly, he dwelt for 40 years in Pharaoh's household. Then he dwelt for 40 years in the backside of the desert before his showing unto Israel. It is two separate things, the fact that there is a being born and then being shown. Someone might have a baby and the baby is born, is alive, but they hide it. Like Moses was hidden, is not shown, is not known. And so we have these things joined together. The Word was made flesh. Our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He was born, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. But he dwelt among us. And that, of course, was cast at him sometimes. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son? Are not his brethren here? He dwelt with them. Our Lord says, no man is accepted in his own country. A prophet is not accepted in his own country. Our Lord did dwell among us. He truly walked this earth. Why is it so important that that should be so? Because it is his righteousness, his perfect life and obedience that is to be imputed or put to the account of his people, of believers. It is vital that he lived a life that we could not live. He died a death that we could not die. And that he dwelt among us, it is a witness. Those that witnessed his death, you might say, they were to be witnesses of his death. But there must be also witnesses of his life, that he did live a perfect life. Never man spake as this man spake, witnesses spanning the 33 years of his life, that he really did exist, he really did dwell among them, he was a real man, he was not just a spirit man, he was not just uh, an apparition, uh, just appearing and appearing to be something that he wasn't, no, he was truly made flesh and dwelt among us. And so those two things are very important. Just as much as a witness of his death and resurrection is a witness of his perfect life. We are to consider the Lord Jesus Christ that he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. May we remember this as we also have to walk this world and with all of our problems and difficulties and contradictions of men against ourselves. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He dwelt among us. He said, how long shall I suffer you? How long shall I be with you? He beheld all their sins, all that they did. He didn't dwell in some ivory palace somewhere in some golden palace. He didn't dwell separate. No, he was right amongst those for whom he came to redeem. The third thing where there is a joining together is his glory and the Father's glory. We have, of course, that beautiful truth of the Trinity, the Father, 
Son and Holy Ghost. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Ghost is God. They are all persons. When He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. It is the Holy Spirit of God is spoken of a person. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And the Son and the Father, if ye have seen the Father, if ye have seen me, ye have seen the Father also, our Lord said, I and my Father are one. They are truly God, each one, and yet distinct persons in the Godhead. Now what is joined together here is the glory, the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father. Our text says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that is, the glory of the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To the glory of the Son and the Father are one. Father, our Lord says, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. And those that reproached our Lord, the Lord said that they reproached the Father also. If ye have received my word, ye will receive the Father's word. He that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. And the Lord has come to glorify the Father, to glorify his name. And so these things are joined together. How vital it is in redemption that the one sent to redeem has full authority from heaven and the work of the one that is redeeming, all that he does is actually glorifying the one that sent him. Not going against him, not going contrary, not taking the glory to himself, but giving the glory to God. And so this then is the uh, third thing that is joined together. His glory, the Father's glory. The fourth thing is God's glory to behold and grace and truth. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So there is the glory of God that is to be beheld and that is joined together with grace and truth, full of grace and truth. If you want to see the glory of God and the Father, you will see it in grace and truth. That is how it is manifested. That is how it is shown. And may we remember that. I want to look at that again further later on. But then the words of our text or the words specifically upon my spirit full of grace and truth two things joined together not just grace not just truth but grace and truth grace is the free unmerited favour of God and truth Pilate asked what is truth God tells us that, and our Lord tells us in John 17, Thy word is truth. That is God the Father, his word is truth. And then our Lord tells us in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. And then we are told by our Lord as well, when he, the spirit of truth, is come. So, the whole trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
that is the truth in Ephesians uh, 4 we read as the truth is in Jesus and that comes down to a very clear statement the truth is in Jesus the Lord said to those that believed on him in John 8 verse 31 he said to them if ye continue in my word ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free these things they go together grace is joined with truth to receive the truth of the father and the son and the holy spirit is the gracious act of god it is the kindness free and merited favor of god to give to a poor sinner the truth well, i want to then look at uh, three main points firstly the source of grace and truth there is a source of that that is set before us here and then secondly the beholding of grace and truth we beheld his glory the grace and truth and then lastly the grand end to which grace and truth are shown and thinking especially of psalm 84 he shall give grace and glory those two things going together but firstly the source of grace and truth that source is in god is in our lord and saviour jesus christ and maybe always look to where the source is where does this first come from anyone that is truly seeking the truth and seeking to know what things really are don't seek it from man you trace it back to man why is just poor sinful man you need to trace it above man above those that are just the same as you the apostle paul says be followers of me even as i also am of christ may we never be left to follow men through the history of mankind and since our lord came and the gospel sent forth there's been so many cults and also even linked to our own denomination where men follow men they worship the minister they worship the preacher they follow him to the exclusion of everything else besotted with them don't do that we're to seek after the source why the holy spirit even the third person in the trinity does not speak of himself he does not glorify himself contrary to what the charismatic churches would say that there's a, a demonstration of the spirit as seen no wherever the spirit is like uh, when he first fell there was the speaking in identifiable tongues but what they were speaking was the wonderful works of god what the spirit had revealed to them and shown to them that is what they spake and all taught of the spirit will speak of the truth that the spirit has revealed to them and why they will speak of it is because of the grace of god but the source is on god when we come to the holy word of god we have a source that traces right back not to some date in history but to the very beginning of the world what would we want other 
than a book that testified that it is the word of God, that says it is the word of God, and that goes right back to the beginning of the world. In the beginning, God. That is how the Bible starts. That is how the word of God starts. And it is a great blessing to receive it from Genesis to Revelation as the word of God. It shows us the source. It shows us the beginning of time. It shows us the source of the beginning of history. It shows us all the beginnings. Those, those first three chapters in Genesis the beginnings of the world, the beginnings of man and woman, the beginnings of marriage, the beginnings of the law. Uh, mayest eat of all the trees of the fruit of the garden, but not the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. The beginnings of sin, the beginnings of death, the beginnings of that sentence of death against uh, sin. We have the beginnings of uh, 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 marriage you have so many beginnings the sabbath day one day in seven principle uh, the beginnings of the animals the animal kingdom is all set forth it is a book of beginnings and then when we come to the new testament the source of salvation in the lord jesus christ his redemption that which has already been foretold right through the Old Testament. If you and I are looking for the free and merited favour of God, we are to look for it from God himself in the channel and way that God brings it. If we desire to know what the truth is and today Many will say there is no absolute truth. It's only in the way that you and I perceive it. But if you and I, uh, and even if those people that deny an absolute truth were to be walking across the road and suddenly a car was careering at high speed towards them, they wouldn't stop and say, well, I'm not sure whether that's true, but I don't really believe it is coming. They wouldn't think about it. They'd jump out of the way and get off the road. They would realise that, that actually what they were beholding was real. It was the truth. And yet in the matters of the soul and things concerning eternity, man says, oh, you can believe this and I can believe that. We'll both get to heaven at last. And then many ideas, but they're not based on anything. They're not based upon the word of God, thy word is truth. And how vital it is that we know what we believe because it is based on something outside of ourselves, is based upon the word of God. The source of grace and truth must be realised. And if you and I are falling short and saying, well, it's just based upon what this scientist says or what this philosopher says or what this man they are sinners like you and I they still must die they're still under the sentence of death what gives them an authority that they should know the truth the truth is that reality that is perceived by God as perceived by God not by us we can often think that something is the truth and it's only because of our perception of it. If you look at something happening from a certain angle, you might see two cars, two people, and you think for sure they've hit each other. But it's only the angle that you're looking at it. You go from a different angle and they're quite a way apart. You can have pictures of people that seem to be holding up the moon or holding up the sun. And what they've done is to get the photographer in such a way that the person holds up their hand 
and behind them is the moon and they get in exactly the right position and they take the photograph and it's, it looks like they're holding it up. But it's only just an illusion. It's because of the angle that they're looking at it. But we want that which is seen by God. And God does not see as man sees. God sees every man. He sees from the beginning of time to the end of time. He sees his plan, his purpose. He sees our outward and he sees our inward. He sees our hearts. He sees our thoughts. He knows all of these things. We cannot hide anything from God. He knows the truth. And so I want to emphasize in this first point, the source of truth is in God. And you and I, if we are to be just with our souls, faithful, good to our souls and to ourselves, if we care about our bodies, our souls, our eternal destiny, then we are to look to that source of grace and truth and make sure that what we receive is from that source and not some other source, a source that is not owned of God and God will not honour at that last great day. Another aspect, and that is joined to this, not only is there a source of grace and truth, but it is able to be communicated. You know, in our car park outside of this chapel, there is a covered over well. It used to be a well that served the cottages that were here and that were in the front of the car park. But because it got polluted and there was disease in it years ago, it was covered over. So there's water, and no doubt there is still, and well, we know there is because we've had to seal the baptistry here because the water seeps into it. The water table is very, very high. So there is a source of water that is in this area. And we think of the water restrictions and, and drought and you think, well, if the water was pure and clean, then the best thing for us, we can put down a borehole uh, in this area and we would not have to go down far and we would get water to be able to pump it up. Over in Australia, worked in the company with uh, working on pumps and in Australia, uh, many of our sons were borehole pumps. The, the water was deep down, the source was there, but it needed to be communicated. This is what the woman at the well of Samaria said to the Lord who sat on Jacob's well. And he said, if, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto me, thee, give me to drink thou wouldst ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. And she says, whence hast thou this living water? The well is deep. You have not got the ability to get down to that source and get it up. In effect, he's saying, now our Lord was speaking of that spiritual life, the living waters flowing from him. But we have in, this, in verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. God is not only the source of truth and grace, but he does communicate it. He will. It is a mystery that is not hidden from everyone. It is revealed and it is revealed to his people. May we remember that. It is hidden from the wise and prudent, but is revealed unto babes. It is a source that by God is made known unto men and communicated to men, but that man himself cannot attain to it, cannot get it, unless it is given by God to them. So a source of grace and truth and a source that in God's purpose and design is to be communicated to men, 
to sinners. So I want to look then, secondly, at the beholding of grace and truth. In our day, in the day of the Gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ is not dwelling among us. He does not dwell on earth. The Lord said, It is needful that I go away. If I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come unto you. And the Apostle says that even he, that we see him no more. But what is seen is grace and truth. Is the effect of it is that which glorifies the Father and the Son that is seen. When Barnabas went to Antioch where the Christians, the disciples were first called Christians, he saw the grace of God and was glad. What did he see? He saw those that were converted from idols to serve the living God. He saw men and women that had received the truth of God and were walking in according to that truth. He saw miracles of grace. And so in the first beholding of grace and truth, we must speak of it as what we did at the very beginning this morning of the new birth, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now in God's free favour, by his grace and kindness to men, he uses the means of preaching, he uses the means of the word of God to show unto men the truth. And he does it in a way that touches their hearts, attends the word with power, with the Thessalonians, the word came not unto them in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And I do want to really emphasise the great favour and grace of God if the truth is revealed to us. What will the truth be? One of the first things in which the truth of God is manifested is the truth of of our sinnership, of the fall. Hymn 710 says, Nor are men willing to have the truth told, the sight is too killing for pride to behold. And we see many that say, Well, we are Christians and uh, we believe in, in God and we're going to go to heaven. We believe in the grace of God. Then you say to them, But do you know yourselves as a sinner? Do you know that we are fallen by nature. Do you know how desperately wicked the heart of man is? The word of God says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And they rise up against that. They don't like to hear that. No, it is a vital, necessary part of the receiving of the truth. It'd be like one that uh, has got a, a very bad illness, a cancer or something that is within them that is a fatal illness and they go to the doctor and they want to know what is wrong and you know sometimes the doctors they perceive that a person though they're asking they don't want to really know the truth and sometimes a patient, sometimes a person has to say, look, I, I know you don't want to tell me, but I want to know the truth. You know, when the Lord appeared to Samuel, spoke to him and told him about Eli's house in the morning, Samuel, he feared to tell Eli because it was bad tidings. But Eli begged him, he said, you must, you must tell me the truth. And he did. But you know, Samuel knew and Eli knew that many in Israel would not like to hear the truth. And by nature, man does not want to know the truth. He does not want to know that he has an evil disease of sin. He does not know, want to know that he's under the sentence of death. He does not want to know that God does not accept his good works because his good works are all stained and marred by sin. 
And so really we may say the greatest gift of the grace of God to a sinner is for that person to acknowledge that they are sinners, to know it, to feel it, painful though it is, to see in their lives, in thought and act and deed, in word, everything. They are sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law was given that all the world might be brought in guilty before God. We have in uh, verse 17, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. And the first evidence of grace and truth being given is that that soul is quickened into spiritual life. They then have ears that hear the word of God, ears that hear the gospel. But first it will be, as Paul says, the law is a schoolmaster unto Christ. I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. But how can a man first hear the law spiritually? How can he first hear that which brings him in as a guilty sinner unless he has life? There are some that will say, well, the new birth is a process. He must hear the word of God. He must hear the law of God and by the law of God learn that he's a sinner and then he will seek the Saviour, and when he seeks the Saviour, he'll be saved, and that is the process that he's born again. No, the Word of God says that when we are in our sin, that God passed by us when we are in our sin and bid us live. The first act is an act of God, as in the beginning of the world, when the world was without form and void, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, let there be light, and there was light. The first act of God in regeneration is to make that one born again. He gives him life. A baby must have life before you can feed it. A baby must have life before it can hear or see or know or feel. And so in a spiritual sense, it is the great blessing if God has given you to know the truth and not push it from you and reject it or pick and choose, pick out the nice parts, pick out everything that you think is in your power to do but not which condemns you as a wretched sinner before God. The greatest blessing of God, that fullness that is in Christ the glory of God, the grace and truth go together. And may remember that. If the Lord has shown you the truth of what you are in his sight and the truth as being under condemnation, the sentence of death, it is by grace that you know that. And that will not leave you under the condemnation of the law of Moses because grace and truth came by Jesus Christ and that will lead to being saved. It will lead to hope in Christ. It will lead to heaven at last. The beholding of grace and truth is the gift of God. I do so want to emphasise these two things together. It is a painful thing to see our sinnership, painful thing to see our guilt, painful to be under the sentence of death. And yet how vital it is that that be first, that God shows the malady, then the remedy. And if he has shown you the malady, he will show you the remedy. Nebuchadnezzar says to those that he had asked to tell him the dream that he dreamed but he couldn't remember the dream. He knew he had one, he couldn't remember it. He said, you tell me the dream and I will know that you can tell me the interpretation thereof. You show me a person that God has shown their sinnership and brought them in as sinners and I will show you a person that God has 
shed his precious blood for, the Lord Jesus Christ has, and that he means to save. And therefore he has shown these things to you, brought you in as guilty, to bring you to need a saviour, Jesus. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so it is a vital first step. I, I really feel if we make an error in the doctrine of the total depravity of man and the sinnership of man, then everything else will fall down. Everything else that that church believes, if it does not receive what the malady is as described in the word of God, everything else will be wrong. Mankind did not need a slight adjustment. It did not need an example. It did not need an incentive. It needed a total, a total new creation, a new birth. It needed the work of God, not the work of man to save fallen man. And so beholding the grace of God, we behold irresistible grace. We behold the sovereign grace of God. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then it will be in our lives as well. We read in verse 16, Of his fullness have, we, have all we received, and grace for grace. God gives the grace to know ourselves as sinners. By grace he reveals the Saviour. By grace he teaches us to pray. Prayer is a grace. And when that grace is exercised, then through prayer he gives every other grace and favour along with that. In the trials that come in our lives, like the Apostle Paul, the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, my grace is sufficient for thee. Where the Lord begins by grace, it is by grace we must continue in our lives. And it is in that we don't have to go right back every time we'd have a token for good to when the Lord called us by grace when we were given the new birth, but we can look upon day by day the grace that he gives us. A child does not have to remember the day of its birth. It can't. Very few of us can remember much before when we were four years of age. But we know that we are alive because we eat, we hear, we see. We have every evidence of being alive. And the work of God in a sinner's heart, his grace is evident in their lives day by day in what he reveals to them of his truth and the grace and help that he gives them day by day. God's children, their lives are testimony to the grace and truth of God. And so beholding the grace and truth of God is in our daily lives, but is also in others. We mentioned that of Barnabas, how he saw those at Antioch, and his heart was glad. God's grace and his truth should make a real difference in a person's life, change how they live, how they speak, what they do. It will be evident so that others see it, and others give glory to God and glory to the Son, glory to the Father, by what change is wrought in a man. I am what I am, says the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God. Different he was before the Damascus Road conversion and after it. The Lord had made that difference and he gave glory to God. And we will see it in others. And may we see it more and more. Rejoice our hearts to see the effect of the grace of God and the truth of God coming from God himself and resting on poor sinners and seeing the effect it makes in their lives. I want to then close with the last point. 
the grand end to which grace and truth is shown. You must always keep the end in view. What end does God have in view? He says, This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. The Lord speaks in John 10 of his people, his sheep, thine they were, and thou gavest them me. The aim is that the Lord redeem his people, he save his people. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That is the end in view. The end in view is to save his people from their sins in this life, the effect of them, the working of sin, the power and dominion of sin, and make them kings and priests unto God, so that sin does not rule over them, but they, by the grace of God, rule over sin. Every child of God will feel every day a constant battle with the sin of his own heart. And it is through the word and through God's grace that he delivers them from being overthrown by sin. Sin does not have the mastery over them. They have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But at the end there is a name of which the Lord prays in John 17. Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Behold his glory. What is his glory? His glory is set forth in our text, full of grace and truth. And there's the great culmination of it. It shall be the top stone brought with grace, grace crying unto it. We shall see in heaven, behold the children, I and the children whom thou hast given me. There is the glory of the Lord with his children, the firstborn among many brethren, an innumerable multitude, all in heaven, all praising the Lamb, singing the song of Moses of triumph over their enemies, over their adversaries. This is the grand end in view. And so we read in Psalm 84, He shall give grace and glory. The two go together. Grace and glory, no good thing shall he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Why do they walk uprightly? They walk according to the truth of God. They walk depending on grace, not works. They walk depending upon the Lord to bring them safe to heaven at last, committing their souls to him who hath called them, suffered for them, bled on Calvary's tree, and will bring them and present them safe above. So may the Lord give us to know this grace and truth flowing from its source, from God himself, may be known in our hearts and in our lives, be a comfort to us, a joy to those that look on, and be to us a title to heaven and a foretaste of that which is to come, of the glory of God above. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.